one i have one but it's problematic (laughs) welcome to maintenance phase the podcast that isn't a knife because of australia this is the most dated reference that has ever been on this show good i like it i like it (laughs) because literally all i know about this person is that he is australian and all i know about australia is crocodile (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I am Michael Hobbs. (laughs) I'm Aubrey Gordon. Uh, If you would like to support the show, you can do that at patreon.com slash maintenance phase, or you can buy t-shirts, tote bags, mugs, all manner of things at TeePublic. Both of those things are linked for you in the show notes. And if you'd like to keep listening, just come on down. Keep listening. We got a, a real barn burner on our hands. Yes. All I know about this human being is that A... His name is Pete Evans, and B, we have received roughly 5,000 requests to cover this gentleman. As far as I know, every person in Australia has emailed us. The, <laughs> the country of Australia cover. has requested that we cover this person. <laughs> Official request from the state. <laughs> so I've been trying to avoid spoilers because every once in a while it'll come up or like somebody will send us something like, you guys should cover Pete Evans, comma, the guy who, and I'm like, close tab, close tab, get delete, out of there. Delete, yeah. Something, something <laughs> problematic. So I am ready, I am ready to be treated on this episode the way that I treat you in other episodes where you fuck with me for the first 30 minutes <laughs> and then you tell me the truth. <laughs> so i am going to drop in see if i can drop in an image search like image without giving you god damn it they all want to give you the whole link to the whole news story and i'm like no oh yeah 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 yeah. you gotta you gotta do screen grabs of it like i did with bell gibson i'm gonna try texting it to you that's what i'm gonna do okay okay here we go oh that's what he looks like here's another one (laughs) yeah there you go Tell me. He's got the serious one and the goofy one. These are like how they're labeled on his computer. It's Uh like hotdad.jpg and like goofy science guy.jpg. Uh-huh. So the way that I have been describing the way that this dude looks in my own brain is like Kendall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I thought too. Kendall in his 40s. He's like the hot math teacher at your school. (laughs) He's just like a white guy with a five o'clock shadow. And I think, are those blue eyes? Yes. And he's kind of like ostentatiously wearing t-shirts in both of these. I really like the idea of ostentatious t-shirt wearing. Right. (laughs) That feels like like a thing that I aspire to. (laughs) These are like publicity still. So he's like chosen to wear a t-shirt in like what appears to be like an author headshot or something. Right. I feel like it's a choice. So interestingly, Pete Evans doesn't come to us as primarily like a diet or nutrition guy. Historically, mm-hmm. he comes to us as a fine dining chef. Oh, okay. Today, Pete Evans is 49 years old. He was born in Melbourne in August of 1973. In my notes, I wrote classic Virgo, even though I don't know what that means. I did look <laughs> up his zodiac sign. I don't know why. Scorpio rising. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> He, in the mid-90s, so in his mid-20s, he moved with his brother and their business partner to Sydney and opened up a restaurant called Hugo's Bondi. Hugo's Bondi, okay. The restaurant becomes super duper popular. People really love it. By all accounts, the food is great. Mm. So about 10 years after opening Hugo's, Pete Evans starts writing cookbooks. To date, he has published about eight of them. As he starts publishing cookbooks, his star continues to rise, right? He's conventionally handsome. He's young. He's a white dude. He's charming. He's a subject authority. All signs point to make this dude famous in the system that we've got. So how how does his star start to rise? He starts promoting his books and showing up, like promoting his cookbooks, doing little TV demos, that kind of thing, right? Uh, okay. He's doing the circuit and he becomes sort of a sought after guest. Okay. That all leads up to... In 2010, his TV career starts in earnest, and he becomes a judge on what was then a new cooking competition show called My Kitchen Rules, or MKR. Mm -hmm. As far as I can tell, MKR sort of occupies a similar place in Australian pop culture as like The Voice or Project Runway of just like 
huge beloved reality show hit right okay. people absolutely adore the show it's like the great australian food off or something <laughs> people just watch it and like it yeah that's right mm-hmm. it's a cooking competition show um and it's home cooks competing in pairs with other home cooks okay he is one of the judges i watched several episodes of mkr for this and I couldn't grab the video of it. They were on platforms where you just can't do that. But there were a couple of different times where he did the, I'm sorry to say, I didn't like this dish. I absolutely loved it. Oh, do you know God. what I mean? Where you're like, okay, right. okay. Okay. So he's like the fake out sweetheart judge. Yeah. And people talk about him that way. They're like, he's so charming. Mm-hmm. He's he's generally a sweetheart on the show. Mm-hmm. Within a couple years, he uh, signs a deal with PBS in the U.S. and does a show here called A Movable Feast with Fine Cooking, okay. where he travels around the U.S. cooking for folks. His TV career just continues to grow. He's charming. He's really good at being on TV, which is one of those things that doesn't sound like a skill, but it totally is. Totally is. Yeah. So he's on the rise. He is beloved. And in 2012, he starts getting like a little bit of flack in the press. Okay. He does a feature in the Sunday age mm-hmm. that is one of those everything I eat in a day, like food diary things. Mm-hmm. So here's what he says is in his food diary in this feature called my day on a plate. Okay. 7 a.m. Two glasses of alkalized water with apple cider vinegar, then a smoothie of blended alkalized water, organic spirulina, activated almonds, maca, blueberries, stevia, coconut kefir, and two organic free-range eggs. Okay. 8.30 a.m. Sprouted millet, sorghum, chia, and buckwheat bread with liver pate, avocado, cultured vegetables, plus ginger and licorice root tea. Aubrey, this is exhausting. (laughs) This is exhausting. (laughs) It's not gonna get less exhausting. (laughs) At noon, he has a a lunch that sounds reasonable to me, which is fresh fish, sautéed kale and broccoli, spinach and avocado salad, and cultured vegetables. At 3 p.m., he has activated almonds, coconut chips, cacao nibs, plus green tea. At 6.30 p.m., he has emu meatballs, sautéed vegetables... (laughs) (laughs) cultured vegetables plus another cup of ginger and licorice root tea and at 8 30 p.m he has a homemade coconut carob blueberry goji and stevia muffin oh my god (laughs) i mean so you know this is the shit where i'm like i'm only growing stronger (laughs) it's just every weird food trend of the last decade it is literally and figuratively throw a bunch of superfoods in a blender right They publish this alongside a note from a nutritionist who's just like, hey, man, A for effort, but there's no evidence about any of this. Also, who can get emu? Like, that's pretty much the whole note. It's great. And this nutritionist very clearly tries to be like, these are good things. He's doing good here. And yeah. it's so clearly a reach where she's like, good, <laughs> drinking water. It doesn't need to be alkalized. I love the idea of printing these like probably clearly fake celebrity food diaries with an actual like expert right next to them. Been like, hmm, don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> don't alkalize it. Yeah. Please. Fully just like, here's 300 words of side eye. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah. So when this came out, the internet pounced. There was some like TV comedy about it. There was a little clip of like a morning show joking about activated almonds and like, you know, a bunch of people were like, this guy, get a load of this nonsense. And that was sort of the end of it. The next year, Pete Evans goes all in on the paleo diet. Okay. So Mike, I would like to ask you what you know about the paleo diet, if anything. I did not know we were going to talk about the paleo diet today. I'm really excited about this. Uh, Oh, yeah. It's like eating like a caveman. Mm -hmm. Early humans live longer and we're healthier. And so based on that, we should go back to a pre-agricultural is my understanding. So meat and vegetables, but nothing that is grown or processed. So like no wheat, it's a lot of like nuts. There's a paleo restaurant in Berlin mm. that I went to once, which was actually really good. 
And like the bread was just like a bunch of like little tiny nuts like shoved <laughs> together and like held together with raisins. It's just compressed trail mix. It was basically trail mix. <laughs> but I'm like, you know what? Trail mix whips. So I was fine with like $24 trail mix. Delicious. <laughs> so you pretty much nailed it. Paleo is one of the first big diets to sort of bridge the rhetoric of weight loss and of like, it's not about weight loss. It's about yeah, how yeah, you yeah, feel. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. about wellness, yeah. right? This is one of those that's like, tries to do the like, it's not anti-fat. It's just ableist. Calm yeah. down. <laughs> so like you pulled this out, but the idea is basically that the way we eat today isn't how we're supposed to be eating. And that actually we should be eating foods in the way that humans did in the paleolithic era, which is like prior to the development of agriculture. So I don't know about you, but I, I have known people that have been on the paleo diet over the years. I actually think that like as a diet, paleo seems like one of the more harmless ones. I feel like the actual diet itself kind of seems fine. It's just like a bunch of meat and vegetables, mm. basically. And then it also sounds like the historical documentary factual stuff behind paleo is just complete fucking garbage. Oh, yeah. There's no basis oh. for it. But also, like, if you want to live like that, it honestly, it seems like less bad to me than like other fad diets. I just started wiggling my butt in my chair because I got so excited <laughs> to get to that part with you. So here is, um, this is a weird source, but uh, the History Channel okay. has a really good little synopsis of sort of like, here's what is and isn't allowed on the diet. Uh, it says... The diet is comprised mainly of meats and fish that could have been hunted by prehistoric man and plant matter that would have been gathered, including nuts, seeds, vegetables, and fruits. All grains and processed flours are avoided as the prehistoric age predated crop cultivation. Dairy products are off-limits. Early man didn't raise animals for meat or milk. Honey is the only sugar that's allowed on the diet as refined sugar as we know it didn't exist. And salt intake is limited, since our ancestors didn't exactly have salt shakers at the ready 20,000 years ago. Processed foods in any form are forbidden, and meat is supposed to be grass-fed, as that more closely resembles the natural diet of roaming animals. I have some comments. <laughs> all I want are your comments. Tell me all your comments. Well, I mean, the whole thing with this is like, well, where are you drawing the line, right? Like post-agricultural, pre-agricultural, my understanding of early societies is that they were mixed. So there were nomadic human populations at the same time there were settled human populations and there were yeah. hunter-gatherer populations that were also doing light agriculture. So this paragraph mentions like 20,000 years ago, they didn't have salt. But it's like, well, why 20,000 years ago? Like, why is that the thing to aim for? Like, why not 10,000? Why not 60,000? Yeah. I am not an expert in this field, but this paragraph feels to me like it's written by somebody who also isn't an expert in the field. Yeah, I mean, I, you keyed in on something that I think is really important here. So two things. One, I wanted to include this quote because it is such a tidy encapsulation of the rhetoric of the paleo diet, mm -hmm. not how people talk about the actual Paleolithic era, right? Yeah. The Paleolithic era ranges from 2.5 million years ago to 10,000 BCE. Okay. <laughs> to put that in context, humans developed lactose tolerance into adulthood within a span of about the last 7,000 years. Right. Blue eyes are a genetic mutation that's believed to have come about between 6,000 and 10,000 years ago. Mm -hmm. And we're aiming for this is how everybody ate across the whole world yeah. sometime between two and a half and 10,000 years ago. And also, it's so difficult to get reliable information about that period, too, about early humans, yeah. right? There's only like a couple skeletons. Yeah. I don't know with what certainty we can even say that people were eating this and not eating that. There's also sort of a pitch that is pretty standard that comes along with yeah, the paleo yeah. diet. Pete Evans, as it so happens, hosted a TV show called The Paleo Way. Oh, no. In the sort of first couple of minutes of the first episode, he essentially gives the pitch for paleo. 
And so I just sent you a clip in Zoom. Oh, please, God. I was just I was just going to be like, Aubrey, can we stop recording and watch a clip? <laughs> I'm so glad you're one step ahead of me. It's as if I have done this before. <laughs> I know. We've been here. Uh, okay, we're queued up at 110. Paleo eating is not about losing weight. Although when you eat healthfully, your weight tends to equalize to your natural, beautiful proportions. Paleo is not only about eating healthy food, but it's also very much about avoiding foods that can cause you harm. Think that's redundant? Consider a slice of whole grain toast. Yeah, sure, it may give you a bit more fibre and B vitamins than a slice of white toast, but they both have a slew of anti-nutritious properties that can cause more harm than good. I have a comment already. <laughs> Me too. If I could sum up the paleo way in a word, it would be natural. Oh, uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> if you can accept that we are natural beings, then it would follow that a natural diet would be our healthiest, wouldn't you say? Oh my God. Wouldn't you say? My entire goal for this series is to show you how to eat the way nature intended. In the first few million years we, or some pre-we relative, were on this planet, we had a completely balanced symbiotic relationship with nature. We started off from chimps, eating mostly fruit, a little bit of meat, moved to land, started scavenging carcasses from other kills, getting bone marrow, getting brains. At some point started developing tools and hunting, and then at some point started cooking. And an amazing thing happened during this three million year Paleolithic period as hunter-gatherers. The vast energy we were getting from hunted meats, those amazing nutrients from the brains, the bone marrow, the organs, the muscle, the rich vitamins and minerals we were getting from the forage fruits, nuts, seeds and vegetables fed us so completely that our brains grew bigger. In short, we became human. Do you mind if we watch this entire thing together? This is so this is this is such my shit. I'm just like taking notes in my head. I'm like, mm, that doesn't sound right. That doesn't sound right. It is as we have said many times on this show, it is a rich text full of terrible points. Very rich. We became human. Like what? <laughs> also, there's okay, there's a whole thing. This, I mean, this came up with the carnivore people too, where it's like, this is what made us human. But then in the period from two and a half million years ago to now, we were like mostly not human. Yeah. Like modern humans have only been around for like my understanding is like 50 to 100,000 years. So the vast majority of that period were like early humans or some sort of proto-human post common ancestor with monkeys. So it's not even, we're not even talking about like hunter-gatherer societies. We're talking about like other species. But Mike, the little animated caveman is now wearing an apron and a chef's hat and he's standing <laughs> yes. upright and waving at us. I love the power of animation to just like paper over like <laughs> such bullshit. You can just be like, we're monkeys and then we're cooking and then we're people. And then all that shit about like, there's whole wheat bread and then there's white bread, but like they're both fucking poison. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I don't know, man. <laughs> A lot of societies eat bread. <laughs> right. A lot of people eat a lot of bread and they're fine. <laughs> it seems fine. In that section where he's talking about like, consider a piece of white bread versus a piece of wheat bread. <laughs> what you can't hear during that is that the visual is a split screen of a slice of bread and then this sort of title card of sort of swapping out information for each sort of piece of food that they show that says things like, Leads to leptin resistance. Like, what? People don't know what that is. Or they'll say, blocks your body's ability to absorb nutrients. Contains zero chevron with tecron. <laughs> it's like these words. <laughs> Does most of the population even know what leptin is? I would say probably most of the population, at least in the U.S., uh, has a better sense of what hospitaliano is than what leptin <laughs> <Yeah>. is. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for coming with me on that one <laughs> that was good that was very good we haven't even talked about the fucking horrific anti-fat bullshit at the beginning where it's like paleo is not a diet yeah. but when you go on paleo your body will like right size itself or something or like settle at your natural weight or something your natural beautiful proportions get out of here this this is what drives me fucking nuts because they don't mean that dude because if you're like i've been on paleo and i still weigh like 250 pounds they'll be like well then you need to eat less yeah you'll settle it like you're 
the right weight for you unless you're big in which case you yeah. should be a smaller like that's what they yeah, fucking mean right. by this it's so absolutely transparent. it's so transparent and it's also look the thing that sells diets is anti-fatness period yes anti-fatness and ableism that's yes. it don't get fat and don't become disabled because you know how those kinds of people are treated and you know what yeah. it means to be those things so definitely don't do it because that means you are a failure of a person like yeah no thanks yeah yeah Okay, so I feel like we're segueing into something, and I want to just formally open the door to it. Hello. Oh, do it. Which is where the actual paleo diet came from. The cavemen, Aubrey. It comes from the cavemen. It comes from <laughs> yeah, early... The Paleolithic era, Mike. It's science. It went straight from the Paleolithic <laughs> people to us. So when I was sort of doing the research for this, there are two different starting points that people sort of cite as like, this is when the paleo diet came into being. Mm-hmm. The big one that gets cited the most often is in 2002 a nutrition researcher and exercise physiologist named Lauren Cordain publishes a book called The Paleo Diet. Okay. That's like the most commonly cited starting point. And then there were mm-hmm. some sources that were a little bit older. Okay. That actually, The Paleo Diet came around in the 70s. I found the book <laughs> that introduced The Paleo Diet to the world. It was published in 1975. It was published by a gastroenterologist named Walter Votglin. Okay. And he starts talking publicly about adjusting our diets to align more with sort of the Paleolithic era. The book that he publishes is called The Stone Age Diet. Okay. It is different than contemporary paleo. It didn't restrict beans or dairy. It was mostly just about restricting sort of the highest carb foods, which is part of the debate here is like how paleo was it, right? Yeah. But also there is a much bigger part of that debate. I think that one is sort of window dressing for a bigger reason to ignore this guy. Wait, okay. Can I, can I guess? Do you want to guess? guess? Oh my God. Yes. Okay. Guess. Oh my God. Guess. Whenever you say like there's a diet book in 1975, I see a distant object over the horizon coming into view and it's just giant flashing like Hollywood sign letters saying eugenics. (laughs) It's always... It's always oh my really God. dark. So I just texted you oh a quote directly oh from the Stone Age diet. It says, geneticists have for decades deplored the unfortunate restrictions of civilization that allow the human race to breed with much less intelligence than is applied in breeding our cattle. Holy shit. Oh, wow. Okay. Effective eugenics if such were possible, could quite rapidly eradicate hereditary disease and undesirable mental and physical traits while enhancing desirable mental and somatic attributes. So that's a real quote from the book that started the paleo diet. Okay, when I said eugenics and you were like, hey, let me send you this quote, I thought like you were being polite and you were like, well, if you squint, it's like kind of part of eugenics. It's like, no. He's like... (laughs) Hey, shout out to eugenics. I feel like we're going to get it done one of these days. Like, holy shit. Just like straight up, let's do eugenics. Also, wait, is he writing this in 1975? Yes. That is late to be using the word eugenics, dude. At this point, eugenics boards in the U.S. were already shutting down. And he's like, bring it back, everybody. Not done yet. That's dark. It is so fucking dark. I mean, he's basically making like a classic eugenics argument that basically right now the wrong people are breeding and as a result the human race is not becoming more excellent over time as the cows are we are becoming less excellent and that's because we don't eat like cavemen i guess or something yeah i mean i think it's worth noting that this is not an exception to his politics this is the rule of his politics so One of my favorite books that we have discussed on this podcast is Diet and the Disease of Civilization, which is sort of this analysis of sort of the ways in which we talk about diets as a solution to a fallen society. And the author of that book talks about how paleo diet proponents have distanced themselves from this dude because he was not just full-throatedly a proponent of eugenics, but also pretty committed to white supremacy. <laughs> Did you read this guy's whole terrible, like, white supremacist manifesto book? I read, like, half of it, and then I was like, I don't think I'm getting more intellectual nutrition out of this. <laughs> he's he's not going to save it in the third act. I'm, I'm not like, oh, he might pull it out here in the end. Like, no. So we've sort of gotten to some of these points, but I would just lift up that there are three really key critical problems with paleo, right? 
One is this thing that we were just talking about, which is that it is premised on deeply ableist and often sort of eugenicist logic, right? The focus here is on this kind of magical thinking designed to convince non-disabled people that they will never get sick or become disabled if they just follow the right steps. Right. Problem number two, it makes a bunch of broad claims about health outcomes, and those outcomes are largely unproven. The headline here, I would say, is that the paleo diet is like pretty debated in the literature for a lot of Mm. the same reasons that the keto diet is, which is that quite a few proponents make a bunch of very bold claims about the diet's ability to cure or prevent or treat different health issues, right? And quite a few opponents say there isn't really sufficient evidence to draw those conclusions. So the biggest meta-analysis I found of the paleo diet was a meta-analysis of four randomized control trials that covered 159 participants. Oh, wow. Okay. Those are small. And also probably like six-week-long studies or something like that. These RCTs for diets are always super short. Yeah. Yeah. So like I would say, generally speaking, like cards on the table – I'm generally with the opponents, the research that exists that sort of trumpets these glowing findings in its executive summaries. (laughs) The actual numbers just don't back it up, right? They show nominal changes in waist circumference and blood glucose and HDL cholesterol, stuff like that, but nothing earth shattering, right? There's no evidence for the claims. Like the claim that they're making is that like, this is the superior diet for humans, (laughs) Absolutely. This is always the big break that it's just like, okay, we've cracked it. Like we've cracked the code. We know exactly how all humans should be eating. And then you look at the literature and it's like, waist circumference was two centimeters smaller. (laughs) Totally. Totally. (laughs) So there is a great paper that was published in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition where a couple of researchers really take on a bunch of the health claims being made about paleo on the heels of a study being published sort of trumpeting the promise of paleo, right? Mm -hmm. They call out in this paper that there are sort of these broad claims that restricting specific food groups as you do in paleo is health promoting, but those claims haven't established the specific restrictions that they're proposing being actually health promoting, right? Like in this paper, they say, okay, so dairy is a good source of protein, calcium, and phosphorus, and you haven't illustrated the benefits of cutting out dairy. We know what it's good for. We don't know what it works against. Right. You're saying that cutting out grains is really important, but grains are like a really inexpensive staple food for people around the world. And it's a way that we feed huge portions of the population. Right. And the last one is beans are actually great sources of protein, fiber and minerals. And they are also like a huge staple food for many, many, many people around the world. You have not illustrated why it would be a health-promoting behavior to restrict those foods, right? Right. They also include this killer quote in their paper, which I just sent to you. Ooh. In real practice, many people, including popular proponents of the paleo diet, such as online bloggers and cookbook writers, are merely adapting their Western diet to align with paleo diet restrictions. For example, desserts made with paleo-acceptable alternatives such as almond flour and honey instead of sugar and wheat flour. In this case, the paleo diet philosophy is extremely unlikely to change health outcomes for anybody but those with celiac disease. Essentially, they're saying, like, if your muffin is made with almond flour and honey instead of wheat and cane sugar or beet sugar or whatever kind of sugar. Right. That's not necessarily going to make a massive change in your health outcomes if you are an otherwise non-disabled, non-chronically ill person. Right, because you're basically eating the same like macronutrients or whatever in the brownie. So there's nothing like there's nothing obvious about like eating honey is better for you than sugar, particularly. Also, hard to argue that like quote unquote cavemen didn't have wheat but they definitely had bob's red mill almond flour like what yeah, yeah, yeah. also i got really into beekeeper youtube like in the last couple <laughs> months of like calling honey pre-agricultural it's like i guess that's technically true but when you think about what it takes for humans to gather honey before they were essentially farming honeybees it's like you're walking around the forest you're finding a hive, you're risking getting stung a million times. Hunter-gatherer societies were probably doing that, but like they weren't having honey on the scale that modern humans are having honey. I'm assuming it would have been like a couple times a year or something as a treat. 
Like, you're not just walking through the woods and just, like, scooping honey out of trees. That's how Yogi Bear eats honey. Yeah, like, it's... <laughs> That's how Winnie the Pooh eats honey. Yeah, you're buying queens on eBay. You're wearing the suit. You know? It's... It, it's it's man-made food. It's fine. Paleo is pre-agriculture, but post-eBay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just like, I don't even understand the fucking distinction between like agricultural and non-agricultural at that point. Totally, absolutely. And this is what we were talking about, about like, when you just focus on the core idea that's being presented, it falls apart so quickly. Yeah. The other thing that sort of paleo proponents will sort of insist upon is that because this diet existed before agriculture as we know it now, it must be healthier, which then means that people who existed before agriculture as we know it now must also have been healthier too, right? No! Yeah. <laughs> as you have noted, the data on like paleolithic humans is really tricky to come by because you can't just ask one. <laughs> but I will say that The Lancet published a study of mummies okay and found that 47 of the 137 mummies they looked at had hardened arteries yes but what was their bmi aubrey Ooh, michael michael to know if they were healthy i need to know if they were thin were they thin <laughs> so thin they became human their bodies <laughs> equalized their natural beautiful proportions so anyway i mean like again like not a huge amount of data hard to do a randomized controlled trial on like a population that is long since dead and gone but 47 out of 137 having hardened arteries is not exactly the like stellar endorsement of paleo that paleo proponents might hope for. But that's the thing with these like hearkening back to previous times thing is there's something about like reconstructing this imagined past where we were all just more pure in this like kind of inchoate, never quite defined way. They're drawing on these kind of like, I guess, assumptions that we've all made in our heads of like, well, what were like caveman lives like? But like none of us are basing that on any real information like most members of the public do not have a a firm grasp on that period of history they're just inviting you to envision a fake past and then they're using that fake past as evidence yeah. for how you should structure your life now i mean i think it's like a lot of the political rhetoric of the right which is like we need to get back to this time totally but like we are extremely susceptible broadly speaking to this idea of nostalgia and it also feels yeah. like it is no accident that the main proponents of this diet are white dudes who are like going back in the past seems like a good thing to do yeah so the yeah. third and final problem with paleo that i would say is that the premise is just wrong do we get to talk about early early man now we sure do so excited first things first the planet was then as it is now extremely biodiverse right so if you try to imagine making a statement now that is like here's how people in the world eat today right is there anything that we could say for sure that had any real meaning right, right. it just doesn't hold water on its face that someone in a desert and someone yeah. in a rainforest would be eating the same way for a two million year span. <laughs> right. Proto-humans were eating like carcasses off the ground. <laughs> yeah. Like there's a big debate about whether humans were actually hunter-gatherers or like scavengers. Yeah. And so there's also, it's like, well, if we really want to hearken back to it, then like you should be eating fucking squirrels from the side of the highway. Totally. But of course they're not doing that because this whole thing is aesthetic. Right. And also like I did find some work done by two professors who compiled a bunch of data on the diversity of plant life in the Paleolithic era okay. based on sort of like all of the information we've got. What they found was that Paleolithic humans had, quote, extraordinarily broad tastes. Right. Folks were eating nuts, fruits, seeds, stems, roots, right. maybe not very much meat at all. Right. One of the professors who did that research actually was quoted as saying, quote, the modern human diet is clearly restricted when compared to the early hominin diet or even to the early farmer's diet. This is somewhere where I sort of side with the like, we are a fallen society people. <laughs> like if you go to the fruit and vegetable aisle of a grocery store, there's like, I don't know, 25 things there or something. There's kind of one species of everything. Like there's 
one type of banana, maybe two that you can buy. There's probably five or six species of apples. In a previous era, we would have been eating a much wider array of wild fruits and vegetables, which would have been much less optimized through breeding, right? Like the red peppers would not have been as big as the red peppers we get now are, but there probably would have been like 18 different species of peppers that, well, actually there's a lot of peppers now anyway, (laughs) but you know what I mean. (laughs) Right. This is the story of pawpaw fruit and Carolina gold rice and like that the more sort of our food systems become industrialized and streamlined, the more different kinds of plants and foods die off and cease to exist, right? Because this is also kind of like the central fiction of the paleo diet, the idea that you can just opt out of modern agriculture, when the kind of sad fact is that like, if you go to a grocery store, all of the stuff in there is going to be like a factory farm, like large scale bread for size and sweetness, etc. product. Like it's a consumer product at this point. I will say there was a totally killer article that I read for this from Scientific American mm-hmm. and their framing device for the article was they were like, we'd like you to consider a paleo influencer. We're going to call him Grok. Mm-hmm. Here's what this paleo influencer does. You know, he works out this many times a week. He eats these foods in these ways. He does his meal prep like this. He does blah, 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 blah. And then they like describe a bunch of like hunter gatherer societies and they're like, now imagine dropping Grok into that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like, (laughs) who are we kidding? You're doing all of your like quote unquote paleo meal prep and putting it in your sub zero refrigerator in your house. Right. Right. So that's the little like overview on paleo. We're going to now return to Pete Evans. Pete. He starts his show and his website, both of which are called The Paleo Way in 2013. Mm-hmm. The very next year, he opens a paleo restaurant. Okay. And he starts talking about the consequences of what he considers to be the quote unquote modern diet. This is where oh, we get no. into like quote unquote processed foods, right? All of that kind of stuff. This is where... One of the consequences that he names is that he believes that the modern diet causes autism. Oh. And he thinks that the paleo diet can treat autism. Oh, fuck. Right. At this point, he is an ambassador of a place called the Mind Institute, (laughs) M-I-N-D-D. That sounds like something from fucking Zoolander. That, I mean, that it's so, so fake. It's we're, so a, we're a think tank called Mind. <laughs> so the Mind Institute genuinely argues that autism is reversible through what they call nutritional medicine. Oh, my God. So I wanted to pull oh. a classic Michael Hobbs. Like, mm, that sounds like it's out of context. Let's see what happens when we put it back in context. It's going to get worse, isn't it? It's not. It's not a good direction. It's not the direction you're hoping for. So this is Pete Evans' actual words from his actual Facebook post about healthy eating guidelines and a rise in autism in Australia. Oh, my God. Why is Australia fast becoming the most obese and unhealthy nations on Earth? Is this because we're a nation of self-obsessed, weak-minded people with no self-control? No. Is it because we are a nation that for far too long has been told to steer clear of foods naturally high in fat, which naturally trigger our fullness hormone, and instead told to eat six to eight servings of processed carbohydrate a day, and wonder why we are still hungry after eating three cups of rice or six slices of bread? This man is one of the worst writers we've ever read on this I mean, run-on sentence on run-on sentence, baby. I forgot the origin by the time I got to the destination. (laughs) Why has our rate of autism climbed from 1 in 10,000 children in 1974 to 1 in 50 in 2014? Where do you think it will be in another 40 years if it is escalating at this rate? This has grown rapidly since the guidelines have been in place! Exclamation point. My God. Autism, a natural variation in humans... Mm-hmm. As a thing that's the direct result of, like, Australian dietary guidelines. Like, 
What are sure. you actually talking about, sir? The food pyramid is making the frogs gay. My yes. plate is really fucking people up. <laughs> I know. Every part of it is a mess. <laughs> and it's the run-on sentences of a person who has lost their connection to their audience. They have lost their connection to persuading or moving anyone. Like, these are the run-on sentences of someone who is just fired up and is getting some shit out onto the page. This is the notebook from Seven. <laughs> First of all, I would need to see like confirmation that the rate of autism has gone from 1 in 10,000 to 1 in 50. Also, it's like this has happened with so many other things of like peanut allergies and stuff where it's like this thing increased at the same time as this other thing. Therefore, it's causing it. One of the diet books in my diet book collection is called Diet, Crime, and Delinquency. And the author genuinely (laughs) argues that like... People who commit crimes have the same diet. Sounds about right. And the diet is just foods that are affordable to poor people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like they're all eating like fast food and like things they buy in bulk at the grocery store. Like, wow, we solved it. They have breakfast cereal for breakfast. (laughs) Like, okay. (laughs) So I am going to come clean and say I did not fact check one sentence in the statement because it is so clearly... The rantings of a person who has gone all in on an idea and is uninterested in whether or not it's true. Right. And he has a huge following at this point. Right. Most recently, he was up to like 2 million followers on social media. Jesus. So he makes this big, bold claim. And then in 2015, he digs in even a little deeper and -hmm. he announces a new cookbook that he's publishing. That cookbook is called Bubba Yum Yum. (laughs) The paleo way for new mums, babies, and toddlers. Baba yum yum. In this book, he recommends replacing both breast milk and formula with bone broth. (laughs) (laughs) He's a bone broth guy. Yes. Oh, I'm so glad we get to talk about bone broth, too. I mean, this is really a greatest hits episode in disguise. So this led to an investigation by Australia's federal health department. The publisher ends up postponing the release of the cookbook based on this investigation. I love that. Cracking down, like regulators cracking down on... Straight up misinformation? Imagine if people were invested in regulation, what would be possible? Government's doing stuff. We we stand. The results of this investigation, basically a number of his recipes were found, four babies were found to contain 10 times the safe maximum intake of vitamin A. <laughs> if babies have too much vitamin A, that leads to swelling of the fontanelles. The soft spots in a baby's skull. Oh my god, that doesn't sound good. So the publisher postpones the release of the cookbook. They change some of the most sort of egregious recipes, but many were reviewed after it was published by other, you know, nutritionists and other sort of like early childhood and infant health experts. And they were still like, these are still not good. I don't know, Aubrey. I feel like you're not giving him enough credit for going from like 10 recipes that harm children to like seven. <laughs> that's progress. I'm supposed to write a book that's not, quote, extremely deadly for all babies. <laughs> for all babies. It's so fucking dark and horrible. It's also fucking hella funny because it, the whole thing is based on fucking hunter-gatherers, right? Were hunter-gatherers making fucking broth? Right. Like, they were boiling bones for, like, eight hours? That doesn't even sound credible to me. Mike, we're, like, halfway through my notes for this episode. Okay. (laughs) So, like, the most amazing thing here is that this dude wrote a diet book for babies that was judged extremely deadly for all babies and then continued to have a career for like (laughs) seven more years. Imagine writing a fucking cookbook that is so bad the government is like, no. (laughs) Like the fucking Babadook of cook. Like, what are we doing? (laughs) So as part of this, I have such a hard time saying the name of the cookbook. The Bubba Yum Yum (laughs) 
controversy. I think he ran a shrimp company. There was a big outcry from the Australian Medical Association, which very quickly becomes one of his most dogged critics that like every time he says something, the Australian Medical Association tweets out about it or sends out a press release or sends out higher ups to like do some media and be like, this dude shouldn't be talking to anyone about anything. Imagine having a Twitter beef with the fucking Medical Association of your country. Absolutely. (laughs) This is something I aspire to. (laughs) Um, So 2015 is the year that he releases this cookbook. It's also the point at which he kind of starts taking bigger and bigger swings. Okay. He starts giving out direct health advice on social media. Someone joins a sort of Facebook Live AMA situation that he's doing. This person Mm -hmm. says they've been diagnosed with osteoporosis and are wondering what he thinks they should do. Oh, no. And he says that they should cut out dairy because it can, quote, remove the calcium from your bones. I feel like this is how the fucking internet works. Because my understanding is that, like, the the thing of, like, you need to drink milk for calcium is actually, like, kind of overblown because there's plenty of other sources of calcium. So it's like, on some level, you could say that, like, milk is necessary for calcium is a myth, right? But then through the, like, internet telephone machine, that then becomes, like, milk fucking removes calcium from your bones. I don't know, man. I don't know if that came to him through a game of internet telephone. I don't know if he's just straight up making shit up at this point. I don't know if this is wishful thinking. I don't know if this is some crank sent him something. But, like, of course... Dairy doesn't strip the calcium from no. your bones. <laughs> Things I can't believe I'm having to say into a microphone. As a principle, if somebody has osteoporosis and you don't know anything about that condition, like this this man runs a restaurant. <laughs> so he's speaking from literally just like vibes, I guess. He's not, he, he has no actual topic expertise. Also, in this conversation with this follower on Facebook... The follower says, uh, let me check with my doctor. Yeah. And he says, quote, most doctors do not know this information. Like, basically, like, oh. your doctor's not going to confirm it because they don't know. But then why would they not know, Peter? So that was 2015. By 2017, dude not only still has a career, but it's getting bigger. Okay. In 2017, he self-produced a documentary that Netflix picks up. It is called The Magic Pill. Oh, no. In it... He claims that a low-carb, high-fat diet like paleo or keto can treat a wild range of conditions. Mm -hmm. The core argument seems to be, as with so much of his sort of paleo content, you're only sick because of the food that you eat. Don't worry, you just did it to yourself. A new and innovative message. (laughs) Totally. For for an influencer. The Australian Medical Association once again launched a petition for Netflix to remove the documentary from its platform due to its misinformation. Wow. That same year that he releases this documentary, The Magic Pill, he also starts making a bunch of public statements about... Ooh, we're playing the hits. Do you want to guess what he starts making public statements about? Oh, man, what have we what have we not covered yet? Oh, my God. He's got to do some, like, weird exercise stuff now. Is he going to become, like, a Pilates influencer or something? No. He starts going hard against fluoride. Oh, really? <laughs> That's, like, maintenance phase classic. He <laughs> starts saying that fluoride is a neurotoxin. Love he it. says that he has only been drinking fluoride-free water for over 30 years. That doesn't sound right. It doesn't sound right, right? It's not right. There's, like, a whole explanation from one of the pieces that I read that was like, no, water fluoridation in Australia started in 1956. Municipalities have been adding it since then. Yeah. What is he talking about unless he's only drinking bottled water or something for 30 plus years like i don't know what this could be about but okay it's kind of a funny flex to not just be like fluoride is bad for you but to be like fluoride is bad for you and i knew it decades ago what you fucking plebes drinking fluoridated water i was anti-fluoride when it was just me and the john birch society yeah okay (laughs) so there's like a whole response from the national health and medical research council being like no here's all the data on fluoride And then they also have to say this like incredibly demoralizing sentence that's like, 
We don't find any link between fluoridated water and IQ, cognitive function, cancer, mortality, and Down syndrome, where you're like, God damn it. That's like the Snopes website, where every day they're like, Hillary Clinton does not suck the blood from babies. <laughs> and you're like, what are people saying on the internet? <laughs> I mean, it seems to me like he was actually like fairly high functioning until he got famous, right? Like, it seems like he got famous relatively late in life. Yeah. And I'm always amazed at people like this who seem to have these like previous lives where they're high functioning and pretty normal. And then like something happens and they just get like internet madness mm-hmm. and they totally lose the ability to assess claims or like have any critical faculties. Mm-hmm. Do you have a theory on like how a guy like this went down such a rabbit hole? I can't say for sure what drew him down this garden path. And I, I, he hasn't really spoken to it. Anytime he talks about it, he's like, well, I just looked at the research and the research is so clear. There are mountains of evidence. Look at this one study I found with transcription yeah. errors. Right. Yeah. But like, I do think without his, whiteness without his non-disabled body without his thinness and without his conventional attractiveness i don't know how far this story goes yeah we are trained to believe that thin people and non-disabled people have earned their bodies that they are healthier as a result of the work that they put into their own health so like that's the thing that i think has most stayed with me about this story is that it's not necessarily a story that is explicitly about whiteness and dudeness but it's a story that doesn't exist without whiteness and dudeness and thinness there's also i mean i I also wonder if it's something also about like being conventionally attractive quite successful i do think that a lot of people in that situation do kind of think that they earned it yeah and when they hear about people who are fat or with chronic illnesses i think they just think like well you're obviously not trying hard enough because like look at me right it's like they're using this n of one to form what is essentially an entire worldview And then they look for things like the paleo diet that sort of fit that worldview. But they're not seeing all the sort of rolls of the dice that got them to where they are. And the way that like so many of these people become like advice gurus is so interesting to me. I am going to cut you off because you are straight up like basically reading out some quotes from him. (laughs) Boiling the episode. Hard. How the turntables have... So, Michael Hobbs, here's my proposal to you. Mm -hmm. We are halfway through my show notes on this. (laughs) And essentially what we have covered, if you imagine this episode like one of the, like, 2010 Harlem Shake videos... (laughs) We have done the first part, but the beat has not yet dropped. Oh, this is this is just people sitting around at their desks, and it's like, yeah. <laughs> this is the extremely tame part. Oh my god! And I would like to propose that we do a part two that is when the beat drops and just get into all of the absolutely bonkers Skrillex fucking turns that this story is <laughs> to take. Uh, what do you think about that? That sounds good. I mean, I don't know if I can, like, handle it because due to all the fluoride I've been drinking, my cognitive no, faculties aren't, aren't what they used to be. <laughs> <laughs>